Bismillah bismillah walhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mawlah amma ba'd assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh How's everybody doing? <coughs> Alhamdulillah So today inshallah ta'ala we're continuing part 2 of this surah or actually I think this is part 3 now I apologize of surah Abasa in which Allah ta'ala says So we reach the second ayah Allah says So the first ayah is mentioning what? That he frowned and he turned away Why? Because there came to him a blind, the blind man So the first thing that we would notice Is that the word ja'a is bigger than atta Atta means to come, ja'a means to come they're both words, words that mean that somebody came to you. But the difference is that ja'a is for something big. And the implication here is what? That this sahabi came enthusiastically. He didn't just come casually. He really, he had the intent. I really want to see the Prophet. So, and ja'ahul a'ma, that this a'ma, this blind man, he came to him with full intent. So, now the question is, why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describing him as al-a'ma? Why describe him as the blind man? Obviously, Allah Ta'ala knows that he is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. Allah knows his name, So why mention him and call him the blind person? Well, because the Prophet was focusing on who? The Prophet was speaking to these leaders of Quraysh, not because of their particular names, but because of their status, their status as leaders. So it seems, uh, and also because their status as leaders implied what? That because these guys are leaders, they have the ability to not only convert themselves, but they will influence lots of people if they do indeed convert. And so therefore, it makes sense that Allah Ta'ala doesn't use his name, rather Allah Ta'ala uses his handicap because it's that weakness that makes him deserving of his attention. So it's his status as somebody who is in a weaker position in society, somebody who is poor, somebody who cannot see and therefore is having trouble in life. Keep in mind that this is in Mecca. And in Mecca, the believers are weak themselves. And so it's natural and normal to be, oh, woe is me, everybody feel bad for me, this sort of victim status, you always want to paint yourself as the victim. And this is unfortunately something very popular today. Even with people that are extremely rich and comfortable, they always want to paint themselves as the victim. And yet Allah Ta'ala is teaching us the exact opposite. Even when you're in a position of weakness, look towards those who are even weaker than you. And that's what's really going to show and demonstrate that you people are people of high caliber. You're not just, you know, crying and complaining and expecting better treatment. Rather, you're always looking to those who are weaker and trying to lift them subhanallah now another important point is that in islam we reject the idea that we cannot refer to somebody by their disability why it's not because we're insensitive it's not because we're insensitive but because we reject the idea that a person's value is intrinsically tied to their physical status allah ta'ala judges the hearts as the prophet says what Allah doesn't look at your bodies or your figures and your wealth. Rather, he looks to your hearts and to your deeds. So Allah Ta'ala describing him as the blind man is in no way a put down. There's nothing wrong with identifying a person by the deficiency so long as it's not being used in a derogatory way. You're not insulting him saying, oh, look at this blind guy or saying it in some sort of uh, uh, evil way. Rather, it's quite the opposite. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, he was being identified as the blind man to excuse him for the interruption as look you know you should recognize that he has a deficiency so take it easy on him and try to help him out now this is a very very important point and this is something that I think I can relate to and I think anybody in a position like an imam position a leadership position can very much relate to a, le a leader may feel embarrassed in front of other leaders that his followers aren't from amongst that his followers are from amongst the weakest people in society 
it, you can feel that. I understand that. I can imagine myself standing in front of, let's say, I don't know, some church leader, right? And let's say he's got a bunch of elite people, you know, very wealthy, powerful people in politics or whatever the case is. And I can imagine myself standing there with, let's say, a group of Muslims who maybe aren't as impressive in terms of their status. And I can ima imagine myself feeling like, oh, man, I wish I had a better crew, you know? And this is a natural feeling. It's a normal human thing. However, Islam teaches us to value people based on their what? On their righteousness. Allah Ta'ala says, Those who are the most righteous amongst you are who? Are those who have the most taqwa. And taqwa is taqwa uh, ha as the Prophet says in another hadith, that taqwa is here. And he was pointing to his chest. This is something that the Prophet was warned about in Surah Al-An'am when Allah Ta'ala says, Do not send away those who call upon their Lord in the morning and in the afternoon seeking his face. In other words, so long as the believer is a, indeed a believer, never turn away from them. And this is something very difficult. Sometimes you may have people come up to you and ask you questions and, hey, I, I want about this and I want to help with that. And even myself in a position of leadership, sometimes you're like, oh man, like, I don't want to deal with these people. They always have a problem. They always have an issue. You. May Allah protect all of us from being the type of people that push, you know, people who we perceive as, you know, oh, those who are lowly in society. These people are, you know, uh, not the higher class, and therefore I don't have time for this. A'udhu billah. You have to protect yourself from that. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so generously mentioned the example of Nuh so that the Prophet could look up to Nuh as a former prophet, somebody who has dealt with these situations, can look to his example and learn from his example. Allah ta'ala mentions, that when the mala, when the upper class people went to Nuh those who disbelieved, they went to him and they complained to him, saying, What? They said, illa We don't see you except as a man like us. And they also said, This is mentioned in Surah Al Hud, ayah number 27. Allah mentions that these disbelievers said to Nuh, and we do not see you followed except by those who are the lowest of us and the people of first suggestion. What does that mean? We see that you, Nuh you are being followed by people who are, let's say, the poor, those who are the weak in society. And we see, look, look at the, the riffraff, and they call them what? Badia ra'i. These people are the type of people who just accept any suggestion. They are the ones who, you know, oh, I have a new idea. Okay, I mean, I'm so broken, I'm so poor, I'll just follow anything. So look at the way they're putting down Nuh, his message, and the ummah that was following him. And so this is something that, subhanAllah, we need to be very cautious of, this attitude that, oh, these are the low ones of society, these aren't the wealthy ones, the powerful ones, and they just follow anything. A'udhu billah, never have this attitude. And Allah Ta'ala says, why? وَمَا يُدَرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ يَزَكَّى but what would make you perceive? What would make you understand? And now Allah Ta'ala is changing from the third person, third person, to the second person. What would make you, O Muhammad Sallallahu understand that perhaps he might be purified? He might find this yazakka. So we're going to talk about that verb in a moment, but still, he might be purified. This is a very, very interesting statement. This could be seen as a reprimand. Like, why would you turn him away? Do you know if he's going to be purified? You have no idea. But at the same time, it could be the flip side. It could be that this is vindication for the Prophet that it's not your fault because what means did you have at your disposal to know about his intention? None. You can't know about a person's intention. So it can be looked at at both ways. That at the end of the day, you just don't know. You don't know what's in a person's heart. So you have to have that open-minded attitude when dealing with people and talking to people. In the previous surah, we talked about this, how the previous surah mentioned Musa going to Fir'aun. Now imagine if you're Musa you know that you were barely saved, your life was barely saved because your mother had to put you in a basket because he was killing all the babies. Such a wretched human being, right? Enslaving people, right? One of the most arrogant tyrants, calling himself God and building monuments to his name. This is a person is 
Okay, well, we'll talk to the uh, uh, the management in Shalatana about uh, the. Uh, I can't improve the microphone here and now, unfortunately. I will try to improve the, the audio uh, in the future, inshallah. I'll talk a little bit closer to the mic. Hopefully, that'll help. My voice is not doing its best right now. I apologize. If you would like to come down to the to this side, that's uh, that's up to you as well, inshallah. If that would help, I don't know. Now, yes, Allah Taala says that when Musa salam went to Fir'aun, that Allah says. This is in the exact previous surah. We're dealing with surah Abasa in the surah right before, just surah Nazi'at. Allah says, and this is a lesson here that we're learning about Musa He's being told what? That when you go to Fir'aun, say to him, would you be willing to purify yourself? Stay open-minded that perhaps he will improve himself. And in fact, Allah Ta'ala mentions in surah Taha, ayah number 44, commanding Musa and Harun and speak to him with a gentle speech that perhaps he may be reminded or fear Allah. So imagine this, Allah Ta'ala is reminding Musa salam, look, go with an open mind, ask him, do you want to be purified? And who knows, speak to him kindly and politely because who knows, he might actually improve. So if Fir'aun, in as bad as he is, you have to keep an open mind, then what about the Sahaba, the believers, etc.? You always have to be like, no, you know what? This person may be transformed. So Allah is teaching us that the best of intentions when seeking knowledge is to, what does it look like? It should, it should look like, it should have certain qualities and characteristics. So we need to check our intentions. Even when we come to a halaqa like this, we should ask ourselves, do I come to these halaqat to learn more so I can win a debate, to know more than everybody else, so I can show off, or to purify yourself? Tezkiyah. That's what Allah Ta'ala is mentioning, saying this is why you approach the Prophet the Sahaba. That's why you go. Or this is why you attend halaqat about the Qur'an or about the Sunnah of the Prophet This is why you learn this deen. What, what, what intention should you have coming? The objective of tezkiyah. I want to improve myself. I want to walk away a more purified, a better person. What's also interesting is that Allah used the word yazakka. Yazakka is the shorthand version of yatazakka, which is the more uh, full version of that verb. Why? Well, perhaps the indication is that this is the partial use of the verb because self-purification itself is only partial. What do I mean by that? It's a pursuit. It's not an achievable goal. You never become fully purified. You're always chasing uh, self-purification, but it's never done. So perhaps that's one of the reasons why Allah says yazakka instead of yatazakka. This seems like one reasonable perspective that it could be that, look, this is a gradual process and never think that you're going to be finished, it, even in one, sh in, especially in one shot. You come one time and, oh, I purified. It doesn't work like that. You'll never finish self-purification. You always have to keep working on yourself. So then the question is yazakka what? Purify what? Their hearts, their minds, their actions, their speech, their wealth. You want to purify yourself in every way. Now, here's the question. What would it take to ascertain whether this blind man will spiritually improve or not? What is going to, uh, how can you possibly ascertain this? And the answer is, we can't know for sure who will benefit from a reminder, but we can certainly assess the candidates and invest our time into those who show the most enthusiasm uh, as opposed to the least. And so what was apparent about Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum was that he was clearly more interested than these leaders of Quraysh, and so that should have been enough. enough. So Allah is saying that perhaps he would purify himself, or there's a second option. It's really interesting how these two go together. The second option is what? Or that he would be reminded, and, uh, and the remembrance would benefit him. He would be reminded, and that reminder would benefit him. So, or another reading instead of could be there's different readings, but the, the, the one that we are used to is which is more emphatic. So he would get a powerful reminder, an important reminder, and then he would benefit from it. Allah is saying that the Qur'an and the words of the Prophet ﷺ are a powerful reminder, a powerful dhikrah. 
However, they will only benefit يعني, who? Those who seek the benefit, those who wish to be reminded those who actually make the hustle and put in the effort to be reminded. So this is a very, very important point that it doesn't matter how good your points are, it doesn't matter how good your reminder is, if the person, if their mind is shut down, it's not going to work. Ibn Taymiyyah has a nice quote, he says, Woe to the scholar if he's silent and doesn't teach the ignorant ones, and woe to the ignorant people, the ignorant person, if he doesn't accept knowledge. So both have a responsibility. The teacher has to teach and the student has to be open to learn. The Tabi'i Abu Abdurrahman al Halabi al Misri, he says, What? Laysa hadiyatun afdala min kalimati hikmatin tuhdiha li akhik. There is no better gift than a word of wisdom you gift to your brother. This is the best. You want to give somebody a beautiful gift? Give them a word of wisdom. Give them some good advice. Be, uh, uh, give them a powerful reminder. Be the person who's brave enough instead of being shy. Brave enough to tell the person what he needs to hear when he needs to hear it, as opposed to just yes men, sycophants, people who just say, yeah, yeah, I'm with you no matter what, and, and they just want to avoid any sort of conflict. So, these two ayat are very, very interesting together. So Allah says, what's going to make you understand how he could benefit? And then Allah mentions two things. What? Tazkiyah, number one. Or number two. So there's, now there's this, these two ayat. And they're saying, look, these are the two ways that this Sahabi could benefit. Tazkiyah or dhikr. What is the difference between these? And what is being described here? Basically, what's being described is the different levels of students that come to the Prophet Or you could say, even for us, the different levels of students that show up for a halaqah or to learn their deen. Or even come to Jum'ah, let's say, for example. What are these two different levels? There's three different opinions about it. I think all three of them are quite fascinating. Number one, the advanced student versus the beginner student. The advanced student is seeking tazkiyah. I want to purify myself. The beginner student is just looking for some sort of reminder, just something to beneficially remind, right? Just a sort of dhikr. That's one perspective. The second perspective is what? That the tazkiyah is the forbidding of evil, whereas the dhikr is the reminder of good. So the higher level is what? That I know I'm doing certain practices that I need to remove for myself, which is, the, you know, which is really difficult to get rid of certain bad habits. But the lower student, the lesser student, at least he's going to hear something good and say, let me try to do some good deed here or there. I may maintain my bad habits, but at least I can do some sort of extra good. So these are the two levels. And Allah is saying, you don't know. When somebody comes to you, you don't know what level they're going to be at. Are they seeking out tezkiyah, the higher advanced level that's going to purify themselves of their bad habits, or just look to get some sort of beneficial reminder, maybe do a few good deeds extra? We don't know. And the third one, which I think is so powerful and so important, especially for our circumstances, is what? The tezkiyah implies you've prepared questions. You know that you have certain amounts of ignorance in your mind and you want to purify yourself and cleanse yourself of this ignorance so you can clarify, am I do, what, am I, what, I'm, what I'm doing, is it right or wrong? Let's say I go to work. Is my job, my income halal or not? The way I'm spending, is it halal or not? I need this tezkiyah, I need this purification process of learning what I'm doing, is it right or wrong? So I come with prepared questions. So maybe Abdullah ibn Maktoum who is coming, what? Possibly, because he's got prepared questions and he wants to learn. Or, the other option is what? You have no prepared questions. You're just like, look, whatever is said, I'll benefit, right? And that's the difference, that there's the advanced student that shows up with a list of questions. I want to figure out A, B, and C. And then there's the lower student who says what? I'll just show up, and whatever the other people are asking, I'll hear their question, I'll learn their answer, and I'll benefit from the reminder, right? And so we should ask ourselves, by the way, I've been part of halaqat, where you see a clear difference. You see the advanced students show up with a bunch of questions that make the halaqa so interesting, where people are really benefiting and learning. Versus people just show up and say, ah, whatever, Let, let's hear what the guy has to say, either good or not. So it's always, you want to either be the advanced student or the regular student, we should keep this in mind. 
Final ayah that we're going to deal with, inshallah, tonight is what? Sorry, as for the one who thinks of himself as self-sufficient, without need, he has this self-sufficiency. The Prophet can't know, now we're switching gears, right? We were talking about Abdullah ibn Maktoum, the Sahabi. Now Allah Ta'ala is turning the attention to the people that the Prophet was giving da'wah to, but they had istighna. The Prophet can't know if this disbeliever's motives are good or not. Is this person only asking about Islam out of entertainment? Say, oh, let's see what he has to say. Haha, let's laugh at him. Out of boredom? Out of love of debate? I want to demonstrate, oh, I'm so smart, I'm going to try to, you know, out, you know, shine you in a debate? Or he just doesn't care. He feels like this is not necessary. And this is what Allah reveals. Allah reveals that he feels he has a sense of istighna. I don't need this. I don't care. Now the question is why? Why did this particular disbeliever or these disbelievers, this group, why did they feel like they don't need this? They don't need revelation. They don't need to purify themselves. It's very, very straightforward because they were wealthy. It's because of money. So the big lesson, one of the big lessons that I hope we can walk away with tonight is beware of the fitna of material success. Beware of the fitna of money. Look, money is a wonderful tool. If you have it, mashallah, you have a tool that you can use for lots of good reasons, inshallah. So long as it doesn't make you think that you're untouchable or better than people who are poor. You have to be able to park your car. Let's say you have a nice fancy, I don't know, whatever car it is, right? Mashallah. Let's say you drive up to the masjid in a nice fancy car. You have to be able to park that car, walk into the masjid and see somebody who maybe doesn't even own a car. Maybe he got here by walking or on a bicycle but he's making dua in the corner. He's reading Quran, he's praying an extra few rak'ah. And you have to say to yourself, Ya Allah, even though maybe my bank account is more than his, <clears throat> it could be the case that his mizan hasanat, his scale of good deeds are so much heavier than mine. I don't know. You can never have this idea that some people have, oh, I'm more blessed with money, therefore I must be at a higher status. No, because then you would say the same thing about Fir'aun. Is Fir'aun better than Musa A'udhu Billah. We don't think that, of course not. So Allah Ta'ala doesn't criticize these people for their wealth because wealth is a gift of Allah that he gives to whoever he wishes. Rather, Allah is criticizing their attitude of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency from what? Of the tezkiyah. They feel that they don't need self-purification. And this is in contrast to Abdullah ibn Maktoum who is chasing after this self-purification. So what did this disbeliever think he was independent of? He thought he was independent of Allah's mercy, Allah's forgiveness, Allah's guidance, the Quran and Sunnah, Maybe he thought he was independent of what? Needing righteous companionship. He saw a guy like Abdullah ibn al-Maktoum and he thought, what? I don't want to be around the riffraff. I don't need to be around people like this. Yes, you do. You need to be around people who have pure hearts. You need to be around people who are genuinely seeking self-purification, who embrace the truth and embrace Islam regardless of the consequence. These are the type of friends you need. He thinks istighna. He thinks he has self-sufficiency. I don't need a group like this. Yes, you do. That's where you're mistaken. So this could be part of it. The companionship of Abdul ibn Maktoum. This is something that he could have benefited from, or the Sahaba in general. Therefore, these verses would be encouraging the Prophet to be like Nuh So we mentioned this before, and I'll finish with this point, inshallah ta'ala. We mentioned how the leaders, they insulted and said, oh, you Nuh in, in Surah uh, Hud, mentioning what? Nuh, you have these people around you who are broke, the lowest, the most, uh, you know, uh, the least impressive people, are, uh, you're hanging around these people, and they are bad, they, to, you know, they just accept whatever you say, they don't even think about it, putting him down, right? How does Nuh respond? Ya qawmi, la as'alukum alayhi malan in ajri illa ala Allah. He says, first and foremost, O people, I do not ask you for any of your wealth. My reward is only from Allah. First and foremost, he's letting these wealthy people know. I know you're wealthy. I don't want your money. Why? Because wealthy people always think people are after their money, right? If somebody comes up to a wealthy person and says, I have a great idea for you. Oh, let me guess. How much is it going to cost? 
Who do I write the check to, right? You know, oh, follow my guidance for 99, 99, 99, etc. right? So this is what they're expecting, right? So Nuh right from the beginning is saying what? I want you to get this idea out of your head. First and foremost, I'm not after your money. I don't care how, how much wealth you have. My wealth, my wealth is from Allah. My ajr is with Allah. Letting them know that there's a bank account that you don't even know about. SubhanAllah, it's a very, very important lesson. Then he says what? Same ayah. وَمَا أَنَا بِطَارِدِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِنَّهُمْ مُلَاقُوا رَبِّهِمْ وَلَكِنِّي أَرَاكُمْ قَوْمًا تَجْهَلُونَ And I am not one to drive away those who have believed. Indeed, they will meet their Lord. But I see that you are people behaving ignorantly. So he's saying what? I will never push away the believers because Allah won't push them away. Allah will not push them away. Allah has sent them their guidance. And because they are guided, Allah Ta'ala is going to resurrect them, bring them back, judge them. They're going to stand before Allah Ta'ala and then Allah is going to enter them into paradise where he's close to them where they get to be in the highest of gatherings. So do you really think I'm going to push these people away when Allah's not pushing them away? And then he says something even more powerful. He says, وَيَا قَوْمِ مَنْ يَنْصُرُنِي مِنَ اللَّهِ إِنْ تَرَدْتُهُمْ أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ He says, he says what? He says, and oh my people, who would protect me from Allah if I drove them away? If I as a messenger push these poor people away, who's going to protect me? Will you not be reminded? What is this like saying? This is like saying, this is as if Nuh is saying what? If I push away these pure-hearted, righteous people, just because I don't think that they have some high status level because of their wealth, I might as well be declaring war with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why I'm saying, who's going to protect me from Allah? It's like I'm, I'm openly declaring war with Allah ta'ala. A'udhu billah. So this is a very, very powerful reminder to us as well, that we should be very cautious and very careful to never push away those who are the, those who have, uh, uh, let's say, um, issues with their wealth, or you know, are uh, you know deficient in their in their uh, income, etc. Whatever terms you want to use, that are struggling financially, we should be very very cautious of pushing people like this away. And inshallah, ta'ala, we're going to continue with ayah number six in next week. Be idhnillahi ta'ala. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who have humility, who are coming to these halaqat and all the durus, inshallah ta'ala, with a sense of self purification. We actually want to improve ourselves. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who try to see people for who they truly are, looking towards their hearts and their righteousness and their good character, not looking towards their material wealth. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.